This episode of the DLU podcast is brought to you by Goalie Nutrition. As someone who's used Goalie for quite some time, I can tell you that they're not only very good, but they're very beneficial. My favorite are the Super Green Gummies. The Super Green Gummies are uniquely crafted with a spectrum of essential nutrients such as vitamins A, B12, folic acid, and theamine. It supports a healthy liver function, healthy nervous and immune system, digestive health, a boost to your metabolism, and overall health and well-being. There are no artificial sweeteners, flavors, or colors from artificial sources. They're vegan-friendly, gluten-free, and gelatin-free. All loyal listeners of the DLU podcast get a special 10% discount at checkout. Go to Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. That's Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. This podcast is a Believe Network and Luciete production. Welcome to another edition of the D. Luke Podcast, brought to you by Believe Network. I'm your host, Derek T. Lewis, and I want to thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode, in addition to all of the past episodes that, you know, has been listened to by the public. Thank you all so very, very much for your love and support. Well, wow, hope you all had a great Memorial Day weekend. I know mine was uh, pretty action-packed. Uh, last Friday, um, I had um, SWF wrestling um friday was called american made we had that event so got in got out and oh by the way um best wishes to uh rob fury and um and healthy speedy recovery hope you feel better hope you get better soon and the next day i had monster factory passion you know down in uh paulsboro new jersey so i was literally all over the state of new jersey uh friday and saturday Sunday, you know, for me, it was just a nice relaxing day for the most part. And of course, Monday, um, I had a studio session. <laughs> I had to get some stuff done and we're try- trying to get this new music out to you guys. Um, when that's going to happen, stay freaking tuned. I cannot wait for you all to hear this song. It's going to be really, really good. But this week, um, I had, there's a guy I met a couple years ago um, when I was teaching an acting class in Philly. and he was working on a series on HBO, and he was doing some work in New York City. His name is Brandon Michael Maddox, and he's an actor as well as a stand-up comedian. So you all are going to really get to know him, how he transitioned from the acting world into the world of stand-up comedy, which is an incredible story in itself. So sit back, relax, and let's not wait any longer. My interview with Brandon Michael Maddox starts right now. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to bring on to this episode of DLU Podcast, actor, comedian, Brandon Michael Maddox out of South Jersey. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. How are you, man? I'm doing good. It is a pleasure, and I really appreciate it, man. Honestly, it is good to see you again. Likewise, man. It's been, it's been far too long. So let's let's hop into it, man. So you grew up in Marlton, New Jersey, South Jersey, and you know, yes. you, have, you know, mom and dad and siblings. So talk about life growing up in South Jersey. Yeah, well, pretty much, you know, I grew up in like, you know, decent sized town was one town where just kind of like, 
it, it, not not that like everyone knew everyone, but it was very connected and such mm-hmm. like that. Uh, right. Yeah, growing up, my mom and dad. Um, I was definitely like no one in my family had a acting or stage bone, I guess. Right. So it, it was very odd that I got into it, and especially I got two older brothers. They are definitely like not like that. They're <laughs> they do like their own thing. So to get the entertainment bug was right a, a little uh impressive to them i guess <laughs> for sure for sure now and, yeah so what was your first exposure to entertainment so whether it was film television or anything like that uh i remember i was always at the movies with my dad we would go just see pretty much anything like when i was a young kid like the animated movies like i vivid like so vividly remember like seen like madagascar like three and oh wow uh yeah and like we saw like all the marvel movies i remember like seeing the first iron man and just like all the marvel movies and just anything that was big and popular that just was the talk of the town for the year whether it was the superhero movie or the action movie and then yeah i remember even like watching tv with my mom it was a lot of like you know, like Gordon Ramsay shows, we we loved his like Hell's Kitchen and everything. Right. <laughs> so it was always just watching it, being like, "That I want to be on that. I want to be on the screen. Like I want people to watch me." So <laughs> I had the same thing when I was four. I saw for the very first time. I saw Mommy Dearest when I was four years old. Now, okay. <laughs> for all intents and purposes, for those that know or don't know, Mommy Dearest is about um, the actress Joan Crawford. And basically how she treated her um, her adopted children. And it, it was borderline scary in some scenes. Mm-hmm. But I was exposed to that at four. And I knew right then and there that I wanted to be an actor. Because Faye Dunaway's portrayal of Joan Crawford was impeccable. Because I literally, I was calling her Joan Crawford. I didn't even realize... Well, like as I was getting older, I'm like, oh, Faye Dunaway, oh, that's her name. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cause she, I mean, literally, because when I had seen pictures of the actual Joan Crawford and Faye Dunaway, I mean, they did an incredible job casting her because she resembles yeah. her quite a bit. So I totally understand what you're saying. And just you're fixated on this this larger than life, you know, universe, you know, of entertainment, film, and television. So I totally get what you're saying. So as you were growing up, you know, let's talk about school, sports, school plays. How was that like for you? <laughs> oh, well, the school sports was certainly not my party. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, yeah, I, growing up, it was, uh, when I was young, I think around maybe like 14 or 15, maybe even younger than that. I mm-hmm. got like a niche for, uh, magic tricks and all that. Mm-hmm. And that's like really where the entertainment bone started was i remember watching penn and teller uh like perform on whether it was like fallon or anything like that Mm -hmm. and they had their show on the cw Mm -hmm. and just being so like amazed of like i know it's a trick but i'm watching this and they're in on it but i'm not Mm -hmm. and then just learning that and not that i even remember you know all the magic tricks i did as a kid but like you know some stuff is muscle memory i can let me tell you, give me a deck of cards. I could still probably do a, b- a bunch of party tricks. <laughs> <laughs> and that was my first thing of just doing that at school. And, you know, people thought it was like cool or anything like that. And obviously everyone's like, well, you know, I did it. And well, they never did. 
so that was kind of the fun of it. Uh, and then just slowly trying to, you know, watching them do magic and be funny made me want to try being funny. And then it was kind of seeing them also appear on like TV shows. It was like weird how like everything kind of just sprawled into another. Intertwining, just, right. Now, exactly. Now, you see, now you're speaking of you being a magician now, you have some YouTube stuff. <laughs> you had. were doing magic tricks. Let's talk about that for a second. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, my first foray into making content was at 16 or something years old uh, doing what was Magic Bolt 1. Uh, I filmed it in this room. I'm actually at my parents' house right now. <laughs> okay. So so weird to just be creating content in this room again uh yeah that was just posting magic videos and pretty much whatever i wanted just and i have a couple of them saved away on an old laptop that will never see the light of day (laughs) (laughs) but just looking back and just seeing like the early things of passion and just being so happy to just record and create Mm -hmm. so i mean that was quite literally i mean i was one of the only people in my class that took youtube i guess quote unquote seriously like always Mm -hmm. posted a lot right and that was like i guess odd for some people to be like post videos on youtube and everything but i loved it just creating and people would talk about it at school and that's what i was happy about was people were talking i knew that was good on a branding thing i've just been like people are talking about my stuff that's good like yeah, I mean, because I mean, that's I guess I, that's our two generations. Because I mean, you think about it, YouTube came out in two thousand five. Think about that for a second, and that, and think about how lucrative being you know having content on YouTube is these days. You know what I mean? So yeah. your generation, it was just like right, right, right time. You're able to have all of these, you know, tools at your arsenal, you know what I mean? You can utilize them. And a lot of people still don't understand the power of being able to create your own stuff. You know, you can literally, all you need is a smartphone and yourself Mm -hmm. and you can do whatever it is you want to do. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, especially looking back at the old stuff, it's, you know, filmed on like a webcam or whatever, but like now it's, these cameras are amazing HD and some are 4K. It's like, yeah. Like, and especially like acting, like self tapes are just so much better and clear, just so much mm-hmm. easier to do because you don't need, you don't need thousand dollars of equipment. Like, you get a good light and you're good with an iPhone. It's, it's mm-hmm. so amazing. Yeah. Even looking back at some of my older self tapes from like 2013, 2014 versus mm-hmm. now, it's like, it's like, it looks like the stone age compared to now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. And when I look at some of my self-taste on actors, actors, I'm like, my goodness. So uh, you did, you're doing a YouTube, you're doing a YouTube deal and then you go to college, but then you realize, eh, I'm not sure if I want to continue to do that. So when did you make that decision in regards to college? And maybe that wasn't for you. Well, let me tell you, <laughs> that was quite the decision. Uh, yeah, I went to, I graduated high school, um, after not being a good student for a lot of years, I barely passed my freshman year and then kind of kicked myself in the ass and like, listen, you want to walk with your friends at graduation and you don't want to be redoing high school. So, you know, I put a little bit of effort in, ended up getting good grades, honor roll a couple times and then going to college, it was such a different experience. And which school did you Uh, go to by the way? 
so I went to RCBC. It was a community college in I think Medford. Okay. And again, it was a nice campus and, you know, the classes were fine and professors were fine, but I just, something about it was such a different way of learning that didn't stick with me. And Mm -hmm. I knew what I wanted to do. So I knew I didn't quote unquote particularly need a piece of paper defining me as an actor and there's especially no stand-up comedy degrees. Right. So, you know, I remember telling my parents, like, I I don't want to go back next semester and I I would jump out of a plane with a 50-50 parachute then have that conversation again. It was, you know, it's hard being like, I don't want to do this. I want to do acting and stand-up. And, you know, it's, you probably know that's a very hard thing. And Very hard. And But, but I think also, too, and, you know, our parents, you know, they want, you know, the best or what they might think is the mm-hmm. best for you but only you're gonna only you are gonna know that within yourself so i think when parents hear that conversation for the first time as far as what you truly want to do and maybe it maybe they envision something even bigger for you know for you but maybe it just it doesn't feel right so only you're gonna yeah. know that only you only you can make that decision for yourself now were you focusing on uh theater tv or yeah or all all, all the above so i never picked a degree to uh, major in but Mm -hmm. i found out when i told them like i told the school like hey i'm dropping out they go you're gonna give up your amazing theater degree and i went i didn't even know i was going for a theater degree (laughs) i I had no idea (laughs) i guess someone just signed that up because even when doing the uh uh uh, when you go to the campus and like just talk to people, I right. guess at some point I said like, "Yeah, I do acting," and they're like, "All right, theater degree." I was like, "Okay." Oh, well, was so the, they, just, they just automatically assumed you were going there for theater. <laughs> I guess so. Which I, wow. I was just like, "Okay." Now, yeah, was... now talk about your first musical performance. I know you said that you were around fifteen when you were at the uh, Morristown Theater Company. You played Jafar in Aladdin. So let's talk about that for a second. What was that experience like for you? So as for the theater company, honestly, uh, they're still running today and the productions and the people there are so talented. And I learned a lot about being on stage from the director of the show. His name was Mark Morgan. And I really do still owe him a lot because even during rehearsals and auditions, I found myself for some reason would be standing, but I'd be swaying back and forth. And he taught me so quickly, like, just stand there and just be, you know, stand in a straight line. You're not swaying back and forth. You're not on a boat. And something little as that, like, just that one quick lesson taught me so much. And mm-hmm. uh, there was extra time at rehearsals. Like, you do, like, improv just to keep yourself sharp. And I give a lot of credit to that with my crowd work now and just being quick on my feet. So that production was a lot of fun and taught me a lot about live uh, audiences very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh and honestly just the thrill of it because i remember i did it because i always wanted to do a stage musical and i had stage fright up until so i had stage fright like i had really? I loved the idea I, I loved the idea of being on stage mm-hmm. but i it like i was like i'm gonna be in front of so many people and this auditorium was a good size one with you know a good amount of seats sold yeah and I remember I'm about to walk on stage and I'm nervous and they go, what, what's the problem? Some uh, stage manager. And I go, I'm going to be honest, I'm having stage fright. And he goes, 
well, I got bad news for you. It's a little too late for that. And he kind of just gave me a little push out onto the stage. And I'm like, <laughs> I guess I can't have that anymore. I guess, uh, right. I guess we're on. <laughs> but honestly, really great. And for someone who back in 20, uh, was it like 15 or so mm-hmm. couldn't carry a fucking tune. Let me tell you that <laughs> I'm no, no master singer now, but I have a video of, of that performance and it is so hard to watch (laughs) wow 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 and we're gonna get back to some uh stage stuff a little bit later but um when did you start taking you know acting classes you know for film and tv yeah i took that at a studio that i don't believe is around anymore called acting house studios it was in medford and my acting teacher her name was sandy turner whose daughter is Morgan Turner. She was in the Jumanji films, uh, the most recent ones. Okay. Uh, yeah, she is the teenager who transforms into Karen Gillan. Yes. I got to meet her. She is the nicest person in the world. And her mom, two of the most kindest and most intelligent people. And I absolutely loved having Sandy as my acting teacher. Uh, I think she lives in New York now, so I think her and I are very close. Um, but when just the things she taught me and how much she just showed herself off in a scene. Like mm-hmm. I, I was like jealous of like, I wish I could get to that point. And I, I would only think I'm to that point now. So it's like, I owe her so much and it's very rare, but every once in a while, Morgan and I will like message back and forth, just life updates and everything. Uh, and every once in a while, uh, reach out to sandy and i'm like hey i need a monologue and she's like i got you she'll send like a handful over so i love you know just knowing them and i owe sandy just so much because she to this day greatest acting teacher and i hands down owe her so much right and you know and i have there's people that in my past that they have that same impact on me and one is one in particular is my my uh, my English professor um, Roberta mm-hmm. Blender. Um, she was very impressed with my writing, and I like you did not finish college, but she told me, I think maybe after the first or second class because we had to write uh, as an assignment. She just wanted to know what we did for the, the previous summer, and I had just finished you know a season of drum corps. I was really passionate about it, you know, as far as what happened the whole entire year. And she was like, you seem really, really passionate about this. I'm like, yeah. And she said, I don't care what you do beyond this point, whatever you do, don't ever stop writing. And, and, you know, and I still talk to her to this very day. She knows what I'm doing, you know, in the entertainment, uh, you know, realm. And, you know, she's, you know, she always says that she's proud and she always knew that I had, I had it in me to do it. But it all, all it takes is just one person to believe in you, you know, and especially in, in the space that we're in, you know, to get you know, to get to where you want to be. But I wanted to ask you, you know, you starting off in theater, was there in was there an adjustment for you, both good or bad, going from like going from theater to film and television? Was there a, was there an adjustment period or no? I mean, the one thing about theater is, you know. I believe there's like a famous quote that Josh Gad once said where it's, you know, film and television, you can act, but theater makes you an actor. And I I thought that quote was very bold. And I get what he's saying where it's like, you know, you mess up a line, 
TV, film, you do another take, try it, get it right. You do it until you're happy. Theater, live audience, you mess up a line. You got to, you got to roll with it. You got to right. just keep going. And trust me, I've had my handful of fumbles on stage, which I got a great story for you with that. Hey, uh, let's talk about it now. There we go. So I was doing back at the Morristown Theater Company, Shrek the Musical. And I was playing one of the captain of the, I think his name was Captain of the Guards. It was like Lord Farquaad's right-hand man. And it was me and another gentleman named, I want to say Kenny. So mm-hmm. opening night, we put on the costumes and the director comes up and goes, would it be funny if uh, uh, Shrek's going to yell uh, when that happens, Kenny's going to jump into your arms and just run off stage with him. Like, that's funny. Sure. We had never practiced it with costumes on which the costumes were just a little bulky so it was more comfortable yeah but he also gave us swords to go on stage with so we never practiced with like these props in our hand oh boy so this is opening night <laughs> shrek yells uh, kenny jumps into my arms i don't got him i'm barely holding on to him i got like two fingers on his leg i go i don't got this oh, my God. so i'm sitting there and i like i just feel the sweat going down my head and shrek finishes his line i turned and i tripped and i just chucked this kid on stage and the <laughs> it was terrible the audience was losing it so i didn't know what to do and he's just laying there shrek's looking at me the audience is laughing and i'm just frozen so i just grabbed him and i just rolled him off stage and it's like thunking as he's rolling <laughs> we go backstage and someone goes what was what was that giant crash on stage and i went kenny <laughs> wow it was the it was like such an experience. I remember the next night the director's like, let's don't we're not gonna do swords. Yeah. <laughs> too many too many elements, and especially they call an audible like that right before you go on stage without really <laughs> rehearsing it. Like the idea of you know, wanted to do something like that with so many with different elements is you might want to rehearse that, you know, before yeah. you, you bring it out to the public, especially opening night. It was just like I couldn't believe it. And I think in the same performance, like uh, Shrek's nose fell off, but he made a joke about it, which was really funny. It was just it was the show of like we're gonna roll with it, right? <laughs> so, uh-huh. in your estimation, when you know you're talking about your experiences with theater, what's what did you gain most from your theater experience? That's a really good question. Um, I guess what I gained most was just discipline. That's probably the best way to put it as in, you know, you have two, three months of rehearsals and then you're on. Right. So being on top of lines, uh, notes, it's if a musical blocking comedic beats and just being prepared in time. Mm -hmm. I, you know, am extremely lucky with, you know, the, TV, film, roles that I get, but I don't care if I have uh, six months to learn it. I treat it like we're filming next week because, you know, at any point during rehearsals for musicals, I've had directors go, mm, well, I'm going to test you guys, drop uh, drop the scripts. And, you know, you, he's not expecting perfection, but, you know, you want to look good. So definitely discipline, just being on top, knowing your stuff and just coming prepared, just knowing what do you need to bring and what do you need to just make the rest of the day go by smoothly and make it everyone's job 
much easier. Now, when you and I met um, about two years ago, I know you were doing some st- doing some stuff on HBO. Um, what what on what other television uh, projects have you worked on? So after that gig, I got right away onto Three Women, which was a Showtime show that Showtime canceled before it premiered, and then I believe Stars picked it up. Now, still not out, and. I appear a decent amount in that show. So it's like, that's the one that I want to come out. Right. Um, yeah. But I, I Google that show every once in a while. It got, you know, canceled and then bought by this network and it's just waiting. So, I mean, I got paid for it. So. Right, 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 right. Nah, I hear you. Now, you did another um, production, you know, was with Voorhees Theater Company. It was called Disaster. Let's talk about that one for a second. So, so yeah, Disaster um, holds a very special place in my heart where I saw the Broadway cast. I saw the Broadway show when it was uh, it was a limited run. It was only on Broadway for a couple weeks because it had an all star cast of big Broadway names and big TV names. Right. So. You know, that show is close to my heart because I got to see it and then be in it as I played Professor Ted, which is more or less the, the lead character. It's an ensemble piece, but he is more or less the lead character. Okay. And uh, I had a figure, I figured you were bringing this up. So I had to grab it. I ended up actually keeping the script for the show. And I even oh. have all, like my notes still in it. Mm. And I love this so much because it's such a funny show. It's the craziest thing. It's like every 70s, uh, movie disaster like hurricane tornado like rats and all that just put into it and all the music's like uh hot stuff by donna summers Mm -hmm. uh, sky high by jigsaw like just good 70s pop hits okay and that show also was an anomaly because it was during the second rise of covid cases Mm. so auditions were held the show was cast we auditioned and we started rehearsing and one week before opening night they shut down the production so we had put in all this work and then our first ever the day of our first ever dress rehearsal everything was canceled and they said we'll just pick up in like we'll say two or three weeks when cases go down cases didn't go down and they didn't want to risk anything and there was some for sure older people in the cast and there was very young kids in the cast that we didn't want to expose them. Right. So we ended up going on hiatus for, I believe six months. And then we came back for, I think another two to three months of rehearsals. And then when we got our final show dates, there was a risk of a third rise in COVID, but thankfully the rise I don't think it rose to a concerning level mm-hmm. or it had risen maybe a week or two after. Okay. So we so luckily did the show and it is the longest show Voorhees has ever put on technically from mm-hmm. auditions to uh, opening night. And obviously the first one during a pandemic and it was absolutely insane. And another big thing about that show that was special was it was a cast of adults uh the youngest cast member i think was maybe 13 he played like a kid in the show okay and the biggest thing was there was honestly no drama 
you know, with every production, there's some of the drama backstage is more interesting than the drama on stage. But with this, there, you know, I think it was all adults. We were all friendly. Uh, everyone was just so nice to each other. And I remember opening night, the director came backstage. Um, her name's Sand. Uh, yeah, her name's Sandy. Another Sandy. Uh, and just gave like a really heartfelt speech of like how much the show meant to her. And I pulled one of the stage managers to his side. I'm like, is that like something she says every show? And he goes, I've worked here for like 10 years. I've never heard her say stuff like that. So it was a really meaningful thing. And uh, I met a lot of long-term friends and people that I'm just honored to share the stage with in that show. And I mean, there was no drama till after the production closed, but that's... uh. <laughs> I'm not I'm not saying I was involved in it but I guess I guess a breakup just kind of divides some people but oh <laughs> uh, well you know you know you know the vibes <laughs> yeah but so, they also let me they also let me keep a prop from the show so oh that's cool like, <laughs> nice nice I love it so much this episode of the Delu podcast is brought to you by Goalie Nutrition as someone who's used Goalie for quite some time I can tell you that they're not only very good but they're very beneficial my favorite are the Super Green Gummies. The Super Green Gummies are uniquely crafted with a spectrum of essential nutrients such as vitamins A, B12, folic acid, and theamine. It supports a healthy liver function, healthy nervous and immune system, digestive health, a boost to your metabolism, and overall health and well-being. There are no artificial sweeteners, flavors, or colors from artificial sources. They're vegan-friendly, gluten-free, and gelatin-free. All loyal listeners of the DLU podcast get a special 10% discount at checkout. Go to goalie.com, use promo code DLEW. That's goalie.com, use promo code DLEW. Now, now obviously, like I said, you know, theater you know, is on a stage, but now you're performing on another stage with stand up comedy. How yes. did you transition and get into stand-up comedy? I had always just given such a respect for comedians. Uh, I remember seeing like Jeff Dunham live and just different types of comedians that I watch on, you know, different streaming services. My first forte into stand-up was my parents had gone to a friend's like, you know, party. And I was like 15 at the time, 16. So I was just home, you know, just chilling by myself. And I was on Netflix and I found Eddie Murphy delirious. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I know Eddie Murphy. I was like, I'm going to watch some of his old stand-up. And I remember just putting it on and just being amazed and just laughing at how just funny and electrifying that is and how just a guy on a stage with a microphone can just get this rupturous applause and laughter. And I just remember like that ended and I was like, oh, I need, I need more, I need more of his stand up. And then I found raw. And then those were the only two specials he had on Netflix. Right. So just going down a rabbit hole of, you know, Oh, he was from Saturday night live. So I got into Saturday night live like that. And then, that leads to when I was 16, I was in Philadelphia at the Punchline Philly seeing Michael Che live, uh, who is an amazing writer on SNL, one of the anchors of Weekend Update. 
and he's doing some crowd work with my father and I, and I'm wearing a weekend update shirt. He's like, what do you want to be when you're older? I'm like, a a comedian. He goes, oh, you think you're funny? And he grabs me, brings me on stage. And he's like, we'll introduce you. Just do do a type five. I'd never done stand up before. So, and this, this whole thing's videoed and I'm so happy because it's such an insane story. (laughs) So I go backstage and they go, uh, making his comedy debut. Welcome to the stage. White Jacob, just a name they made up for me. So I walk on and I did arguably maybe my tightest five I've ever done. (laughs) And it was just funny. They were laughing. The audience was laughing. And in the video, you even hear him say, like, this doesn't work. He's like, this never works out. You know, he's expecting me to go up there, bomb and whatever. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I did it. Uh, five minutes. He uh, thought it was funny. The audience loved it. They get off stage. We're going to leave. And the security's like, Michael Che wants to see you. So my dad and I go backstage and he's like, listen, you're funny. He's like, stick at it. And he gave me a bunch of websites and everything. And websites I still use to this day to just get, you know, gigs and everything. And it was honestly just a surreal experience. I remember like just the car ride home being like, that didn't just happen. That there's no way that actually just happened. Like I, I just right. passed out for like five minutes, right? Like that didn't happen. Right. It was the most surreal thing in the world. And honestly, like that my dad knew the second I walked on stage, she's like, this kid's going to want to do this. So <laughs> that's an incredible story. Now, did you, at do your experience of doing theater and then also in comedy, what are some of the similarities and what are the differences in your opinion? I mean, the difference with stand up and a theater, like musical or play, is if you do a musical and play and the audience just isn't feeling it. That's, I'm not, it's not fine, but it's, you know, you know, hey, we're at this song. We got 20 minutes of the show left. We got, we could do it. With stand-up, you do five minutes and no one's laughing. It feels like an hour of no one laughing. So, you know, even if you do a comedy play, it's all written, you know, when the end is. And with stand-up, it's just... It, if a joke doesn't land, it it's hard because you're by you you can't you can't pass the ball to anyone. You're just right. on stage by yourself. You just got to take the hit. And trust me, I've I've had those nights. I've performed to quote unquote crowds of five people, and you just got to do the best of it. And hopefully, you can make fun of someone at some point. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, so. You you hear stories about, you know, heckling and then, you know, obviously the incident that happened at the Oscars last year that we're not going to talk about right now. But have have you faced some of those challenges as a comedian where, you know, you got that heckler that wants to get their two minutes of fame or or someone's not really feeling your material? And how did if that happened, how has that how did it affect you? So I guess that's one thing is I can. I guess pat myself on the shoulder on is growing up doing improv and watching a lot of heckler based comedians like Jimmy Carr. It's 
quickly built in me just to be quick on my feet and always ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, I pride myself on hecklers and crowd work uh, in the sense of, here's the thing, if I'm telling a joke that is written and I know there is a punchline coming up, I know what I'm doing. Right. But if someone yells out something during that joke, it can ruin the flow. And that's that's when I start getting mad. But I love interacting with the audience and i it's funny you brought this up i had a show maybe like two weeks ago okay and there was a drunk guy in the crowd and he yelled something out and all the comedians are just they're trying to joke with him but he's on that brink of just not giving you anything to work with Mm -hmm. which those are the worst if someone yells out something you can easily go after them but when they start going on like either like they're slurring their words or they're just not giving you anything to bite onto it. That can really drag a show. So comedian after comedian is going up and he's just trying to do something. I walked on stage, didn't even get to my first joke and just went right after him and just started going at him. And then someone yelled out something like that was really mean. I'd go after them, did probably a good five to 10 minutes of just crowd work and just going at different people in the audience. So I go backstage and the guy who booked me for the show goes, dude, I give you credit. Like you're, you're like the crowd work king. And I was like, that's not a bad, that's not a bad title. I'll take that. So a lot of comics respect that I can do a lot of crowd work and, you know, it's starting to get around at the comedy club. I go to a round of like, if I'm on stage, don't yell at him. Don't yell, yell at anyone. Else, don't yell at him. He's, he's going to win. Like, <laughs> <laughs> let me ask let me ask this an, another secondary question though when it comes to that when it comes to crowd work is there a psychology to that because not to your point not a lot of people are are as quick-witted some people might freeze some people can lose their flow as you said earlier is there a psychology to that is there a, a something assist a, a thing that works for you even as someone that's not a heckler and you may see somebody in the crowd are you concerned whether they could take the joke or not? If you're, if they see, if you see like a pair of shoes they have on that may not be, you know, up to par, whatever the case, or if they have mm-hmm. on a hat, it's like, what the heck is that? Like, yeah. how do you read people and then, you know, trying to deliver that punchline? So I know um, sometimes I've gotten myself in frisky situations uh, of, you know, you're cracked jokes and everyone's laughing but they're not laughing and mm-hmm. some people some people just don't like being the butt of a joke and, that, and that's fine mm-hmm. so in instances like that where maybe i say something and they're not enjoying it i will somewhat try to i guess in a sense take a hit and turn it around and quickly make a joke about myself because they'll feel like they won because like, self-deprecation oh. dog yeah, yeah yeah yeah. where it's like they make fun of me and at the end i made fun of myself so they go oh now they're laughing at him so i guess like the attention's off me or something like that right 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 right. and some people some people are totally cool with a joke like some people mm-hmm. i've had uh cowboys fans come uh into a show one time and their hat jerseys and everything oh boy and uh, and I'm not the biggest sports guy, but I'm like, what? Why are you wearing this? I'm like, what time? What time are they playing tonight? And the dude goes, oh, they're not playing tonight. Well, what the? Fuck? Why are you wearing it then? <laughs> you're, just, you're asking. You're asking. That's the easiest thing in the world. 
Especially in the area that you're in. I mean, just in general, like, why would you do that? <laughs> My favorite thing, I remember looking at him being like, you and I are going for the same thing right now. Attention. That is what you and I are both going for. <laughs> so, but yeah, I've had... I've had a 10 year old in my crowd one time and I'm just like, who let you in? Like just the most random things that happen. And I just, like you said, like if someone's just wearing something weird or just something mm-hmm. different and it's so much fun. Cause you could pick down, you could pick out the smallest thing. Like right. if I wore this, if I wore this Pac-Man hoodie, like out, someone could easily just make a quick joke. It's so much fun to find the most niche thing for me. And as for like if there's like a science behind it, every once in a while I might peek out, look at the crowd, and look for one or two people. If I know something's going, I can maybe jump to real quick. So I maybe usually have like five or six ready to go in the back of my mind. Right, 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 right. Now, how do you come up with your material? Depending, you know, what I mean, like no matter if it's a five minute set, ten minutes, fifteen, or even thirty minutes. How do you come up with that material? Is it is it almost like writing a song? Is it almost like writing, you know, a movie? Like, how do you come up with the material? Obviously, memorizing it to, yeah. to the punchline and all these other different things. You're telling stories. How do you come up with your material? I definitely like to, well, one, I kind of do have to look at the crowd and see what I'm dealing with. You know, if I get a crowd of a bunch of 20-year-olds, I know, okay, more or less anything I say they're going to get. It'll be, this will be up their alley. Right. But I've had some older crowds where maybe the punchline of the joke becomes a part of the setup. And I quickly write a different punchline where if the punchline is a young reference saying that in the setup and then in the punchline being like, Oh, for you that don't know, it's like this thing you grew up on. So it, they can be a part of the joke and I don't have to rewrite or change everything. Mm-hmm. And as for coming up with the sets, I love the idea of it feeling natural. Right. You know, I have a couple comics who ask me like, you know, do you come up with this stuff on the, on the spot? And it's such a compliment because I love if they're saying that, then it feels so genuine coming from me. Cause Yes, yeah, stand up is performance, but I love the idea of being like, I'm just talking right now. I'm just talking and I'm making you guys laugh. Right. You know, I'm not trying to sell you on a joke. I'm just, hey, this thing happened and this, 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 and just getting laughs. So when people ask, like, you know, are you just making this up on the spot? No, a lot of it is pre written stuff that I, you know, but it, I come off and say it as in, like, oh, and this just appeared in my head to make it feel genuine authentic for them and like feel like a original show right now i know a lot of times you know comics and i and i i'm a fan of comedy and i've been watching actually this year is the 40 year anniversary of delirious actually and i saw when i was five probably at an age when i should have been watching it but (laughs) you know i grew up on eddie murphy richard pryor um then martin lawrence and uh, the list goes on and on. There's so many different stand-up comics. Dave Chappelle, you know what I mean? Yeah. And a lot of, uh, I know Richard Pryor used to talk about pain a lot of times, how the, it will come from pain. Then obviously you would have to be very vulnerable, you know, to tell personal stories of pain. Had you, do you have material that allows you to be vulnerable from pain? 
Yeah, I mean, I love talking about, if anything, really personal stuff because I want to be able to have things that people relate to, whether mm-hmm. they've experienced it already or going to. Going to, uh, right. Uh, I mean, I have a cousin who's about five or six years younger than me, and I've talked about things on stage where it's like, you don't get this. Well, one day you're going to. And just so he knows, like, everyone goes through it, whether it's like a breakup or something happens. And with the pain, yeah, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to get too deep right now, but I got out of a relationship probably coming up on maybe a year or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, I'm trying to think of what to say to not get myself in too much trouble. I'm trying to, <laughs> the person I was with was a very nice person as for a relationship was very, I would say best term I come up with maybe toxic uh, and mm. mentally not suitable. Right. And that took a toll on me because uh, the things that would be said or that I felt like I, I felt like I didn't have a voice. Right. All the things I kept inside, you know, when that relationship ended, I felt like I definitely have never, I'm not the only one that I've experienced this. So let me talk about this in a mostly respectful manner. And people seem to relate and laugh because it's, you know, this happened to me and this sucks. And it's like, you know, has a lot of the time I just go, has anyone else here experienced that? And you get a decent amount of people are like, I know exactly what you're talking about and have people after the show. I had a girl one time in New York come up to me. She's like, I want you to know, like I just got out of a relationship, you know, of a couple of years. And she's like, you have no idea like how much this, like help me realize how I I wasn't the problem. And you know, I didn't I didn't know I was part-time comedian, part-time therapist. I was uh <laughs> but it just is so nice to be like this is a messed up situation and I went through it. So it was shitty for me. It was shitty for you. Let's all come together on this shitty moment. So, right. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, and obviously it's coping as well. You know what I mean? Like, Indeed. And, it, it, you know, I, I will always say that whether you're listening to art or if you're creating it, it's therapy. You know what I mean? Like, right, me doing this podcast right now is therapy for me because this is another creative outlet where I get to be me on my own platform and I, you know, providing an opportunity for people that I know, people that I don't know to come on and tell their stories and what they're trying to what they're what they're doing and where they're where they're headed to accomplish their goals and dreams you know what i mean so it's yeah. very therapeutic when you're dealing especially in the arts especially now i know you said um michael um Chad, giving you some um advice you know in early in the part of the conversation has there been any other veteran comedians that you that has given you some really really solid advice that you've taken heed to yeah, um, this was in Philly, uh, actually the exact same comedy club, so I got to go over there more often. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to have a conversation with Pete Davidson. Mm. 
Okay. And this was like right when Pete was huge. It was during COVID. He was performing outside mm-hmm. right under right under the turnpike, which I thought was interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was quite it was a unique experience. And he he signed my co- uh, copy of King of Staten Island and just talked to him. I was like, I'm a comedian. And I told him, I was like, I, I when I was 16, I did a show with Michael J here. And he was like, listen, man, just good. He's like, just keep doing it. He's like, any opportunity you get, like, just do it. He's like, you had the guts to come up and start a conversation with me. He's like, you know, people would just be quote unquote too starstruck or too nervous. He's like, you came up, you're well-spoken. He's like, just keep at it. He was coolest guy in the world and genuinely so nice he's one of the nicest guys in the industry he seems like a really solid dude you know what i mean and um i would love to work with him someday whether you know and you know, i'd love to have him on his podcast someday yeah if i'm great. if i'm if i'm very uh if i'm fortunate to have it so what other comics do you study so for the crowd work and quick wittedness i give a lot of credit to a british comedian named jimmy carr um comedy style is very crass and crude and no filter which i like which is just you know that rawness um bill burr in his way to make an audience tense up and right before he loses them breaks it with a joke that is i think one of the most talented things in the world is just how he can bring an audience so far into uncomfortable and right before he loses them just brings him right back right that uh just the charisma of eddie murphy is amazing how he is just so naturally funny and i i mean he saved a show he saved snl from probably going off air mm-hmm. and then like i could probably you know think of a thousand comedians for different things bo burnham is an astounding writer uh who's just every word and inflection is picked out beautifully and you know i give a lot of credit to the duo of tina uh, tina fey and amy poehler those two those two unstoppable next to each other i enjoyed their work uh, i really enjoyed their work exactly and when they did weekend update just it's you know it's it's so rare to find two people who just it's like they both don't bring a hundred. They both just bring a thousand and it just explodes like that. So and I think I give credit to most all comedians that just do stand up for bringing their own twist to it. And I'll probably get mad at myself for not mentioning a certain uh, comedian that influences me, but you know, I just respect for every comedian, you know, George Carlin and all that. So Great, man. Great. Your goals, short-term and long-term, whether it's in, obviously in the comic world or in, you know, in whether it's TV, film, um, theater, what's your short-term and long-term goals? Well, short-term right now is I'm currently working on a TV pilot of an original series that I wrote that we filmed a scene for. And we're using that to kind of show the humor of the show. So short term in the next year would be just, you know, wrapping filming on that, getting that edited and put out, see what people like. I'm also currently working on an original musical of a 
pseudo story that happened to me, but just, you know, obviously that inspired by, and then just take it and make it a story. Take it, make it your own. Yeah. And then another short-term project I'm working on right now is, uh, actually an anime which i never thought i would get into uh i've just been watching uh the castlevania series on netflix and my roommate got me on cowboy bebop and i'm like this looks so cool i love the art style and everything so it's like i don't know i've had an idea so i'm playing around with that as well uh as for long term uh i plan on very this might be short term (laughs) i plan on doing a stand-up special just an hour of you know me doing stand-up telling stories and i just i just want to have fun on stage that's you know i love being on it as for long term i mean going to the academy awards with you i mean that'd be way <laughs> that'd out. be cool that'd <laughs> awesome. be really cool and honestly just i i want to get to a point long term where i can just you know tour every state in the u.s and just do stand up and just you know spread just laughter and just people who enjoy the same things i do i would absolutely love that now where can people find you you know on social media website youtube channel the whole nine yards so on instagram it's uh all my social media is very long so uh, i got very lucky with these domains uh, Instagram and TikTok are both at Brandon Michael Maddox. And yeah, on TikTok, you'll see a lot of my stand up clips and every once in a while, a little skit. Instagram is more uh, behind the scenes of anything I'm filming or working on. And as for YouTube, yeah, Brandon Michael Maddox, I'm currently working on multiple things for that that will be posted and we'll just show off, obviously, the stand up side with recorded clips of that. And then my other side, you know, I love gaming and movies so like possibly reviews but with my own twist on them and i mean those are the main ones i absolutely use those all the time i try to post and just uh keep uh spreading out just the brand and my sense of humor awesome well brandon uh thank you so much you know for coming on to the show um, this is th- th- this won't be the only time, you know. You, you, you now that you've been Thank on you. the show, you're a friend of the show for life. So down the road, you know, we can definitely cross paths on this, you know, on the podcast again. We could talk about some things, you know, even more than heck. For all we know, you might be hosting SNL someday. You know what I mean? Or, or be a, or be you. or be a cast member on SNL. I could definitely see that for you because I think based off the things that you said. And you know, as far as your approach to things, I can't see why that's not a possibility. I think you, if you know, if you if you're putting in the work, you're putting in the time and the effort and the energy, you know, to do what you do, you know, the sky's the limit, man. So I could totally see you, you know, as as a cast member on SNL, man. Let me tell you, and that is one of the biggest compliments ever. And let me tell you, when that happens, I'm coming on this podcast, and you and I are talking about everything. I'm telling you all <laughs> behind the scenes secrets. That'll be. That's a bet. That's a bet, man. Well, once again. Thank you so much for coming on to the show, and um, we'll be talking soon, man. Well, that does it for this week's edition of the D-Loop Podcast. Again, I want to thank Brandon Michael Maddox for stopping by the show to talk about all aspects of his career in stand-up comedy as well as in the uh, acting world, and I wish him all the best in his future endeavors. What I need you all to do is stop by my store, shop.derektlewis.com, and I have... Actually, a new t-shirt that I just launched recently for Pride Month. 
And all of my Pride Month themed t-shirts will, all proceeds from the, that I receive from the sales from those shirts will be donated to charity. That is something I've been doing for the last couple of years, and I will continue to do that. And many of the um, philanthropic initiatives that I have regarding my company, Luciette Music. So go over to shop.daratlewis.com, get your hoodies and tees there. You can follow me all on my social media. It's Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, at TheRealDTLou. Facebook is Derek T. Lewis official page. If you haven't subscribed to this show, please do so on whichever platform you so desire. So if it's iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you name it. If you Google the DLU podcast and you see the choice of platform you want to listen to it, by all means, please feel free to do so. But make sure subscribe to the DLU podcast and you can always get all new content every single time. So make sure you hit subscribe. Well, I'm going to get out of here and just remember, no matter what you do in life, always remember to make it count. See you next time.